You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Everybody, welcome to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on this Tuesday night. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We do expect to talk to some folks with the latest on Tiger Woods. I'm sure you heard, and you heard it again there in the update, a uh, single car accident early this morning out in the L.A. area. Uh, reports are of moderate to critical injuries. Uh, leg surgery that he was in today, uh, given to us in a statement by his agent. And we will continue to bring you the latest information on that, both from the press conference just held by the L.A. County Sheriff's deputy um, and from other voices around the sports world. Uh, Fitz, I have to ask you, I was sitting in a chair uh, getting ready to record the second block of today's Around the Horn. We, of course, started fresh uh, and began the show again when this news hit. But that's where I was, and my brain immediately first went, to Kobe and the helicopter, and then uh, to the initial reports sounding extremely dire uh, anytime there isn't a condition stated in that first release, unstable or critical or whatever, you fear the worst. And I was so grateful that it wasn't long after that first report that we got the follow-up that it's, it felt like the majority of the issue uh, was likely with the legs. We still have so much more uh, to learn, but that felt like a positive compared to, to the worst. Um, where were you and, and what were you thinking? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Kobe comparison, and it's such a stark one here because it feels it's the same time of year. It's right around a year later. You know, I was sitting in the kitchen, and my first thought as I saw the news come over, I found myself just refreshing Twitter every two seconds like everybody else because of the Kobe experience. I think that that's still locked into so many of our minds. I mean, when you've lived through that sort of, of moment where so many fans were impacted by loss, your immediate thought is, man, not another person, you know, of, of note, uh, that, that becomes your immediate fear. So I'm with you. I think as we started to see more information come out, anytime you see a lack of information in the beginning, we re- immediately seem to presume the worst. So it felt like over the course of the first few hours in getting anything, it was, okay, where can I find a positive from this? And that's just because at this point, it, that's what we're all trying to find is some sort of hope that everything's going to be just fine and that he's going to recover and, and this will all just be a horrific accident. So, yeah, I, I think the Kobe memory and the timing of the, the time of the year and the timing and proximity to when that happened made it a natural comparison for all of us. And I think also the fact that, you know, Tiger Woods has a history of, of incidents with cars. Uh, so there's a lot of questions then about the state he was in, about whether there were, you know, paparazzi or cameras. Was was there an incident that inspired this this accident? Was it was it falling asleep? You know, there are so many more things we don't yet know about why uh, the accident happened. Um, but then it's trying to put together thoughts for television and, and then again for radio about this understanding that we are so limited in what we now know. And in my opinion, seeing absolute futility in some of the speculation that people are wont to do after incidents like this, whether that's speculating about whether we've seen him play golf for the last time or speculating about what a recovery might look like due to the injuries when we don't even know the injuries uh, to me is not only futile and unnecessary and a little bit reckless and a little bit um, gross, But also, it it really removes from this situation the humanity of it all. And I was just this morning looking on, it happened to be on Candace Parker's Instagram stories, and she had retweeted a post from Kobe Bryant's widow, who had posted a lyric uh, from Meek Mill, I believe, that rhymes and makes a, a sort of crack at Kobe's death in the helicopter. 
And she said, you know, this isn't appropriate. There's family members and kids and people associated with this. And I don't know why you would take this lightly. If you were a fan of his, there are plenty of other ways to show that. And we tend to retroactively apply our humanity to these situations and say, here's how we could have or should have handled it instead of any number of things uh, that people do. And I wish we would think of it in the moment that way. The speculation doesn't serve anyone. The reckless sharing of information from sources that haven't been proved doesn't serve anyone. The worst case scenario sharing doesn't serve anyone. And there are friends and family and colleagues um, that are going to be deeply affected by this, even if it's, I hate to say best case scenario, but even if he he walks away from this and is okay, this is still a traumatic experience for all those people. And I wish we would think about that more often instead of considering the content it is news, but we need to react to the news that we have, not speculate about what news might be coming down the line. And that's such a difficult thing that I think we usually try and do well on the show, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, that in this moment is most important. Like, what we're going to do is tell you what we know about this situation. I don't think today's the right time to be discussing the legacy and, and you know, what he's meant to golf and what he could mean to golf and what if he never plays again and what how would his recovery look? Because we just don't, we don't even know the full extent of the injury. And without any context, then what we're doing is we're just pulling a magic bunny out of a hat. So what we know right now is that at this morning there was a horrific car accident. We know that initially it was reported that Jaws of Life were, were needed to get him out. It has since been corrected that that's not the case. They did use tools to get him out, but not specifically Jaws of Life. And uh, we know at this point that uh, that he was taken to the hospital. I think it's important to get a little bit of context here, and we'll go to Carlos Gonzalez, the L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy. This is what he said in the press conference about Tiger's condition when he arrived on the scene. Mr. Woods was not able to stand under his own power. Our partners at L.A. County Fire were able to extricate him from the vehicle and they put him onto a backboard. Uh, when I arrived on the scene, uh, Mr. Woods was uh, seated in the driver's seat. I made contact with him and I ensured that he was able to speak to me. At that time, he seemed that as, as though he was still calm and lucid. I made the determination that it would be safer to wait for LA County Fire to help remove him instead of trying to remove him myself. I, I kept Mr. Woods calm until uh, LA County Fire arrived on scene. It's important to have that context of what was mm-hmm. going on and what was happening there because I think everybody just presumes worst-case scenario and doomsday conversation. And you're right, Sarah. Right now we need to be focused on the facts. And those are the facts that we have that he, you know, at this point we know from his agent and we know from the statements that have been made that it, their surgery for multiple leg injuries, that's all we know. So we can save the rest of the conversation about what it could mean for his legacy or what he's meant to golf until we know what his future looks like. And we can't know that until we know the extent of the injury. I agree with that. And, you know, we're hearing from uh, from folks who've covered him. We're hearing from folks who've played with him. And one thing I will say is that over the course of the last couple years, there's been a bit of a softening to the edges of, of Tiger, which is also a strange and an and odd parallel to Kobe, right? This feeling that um, some of the things that were, you know, self-inflicted that, that caused his veneer to crumble – offered him a second chance at becoming more human in ways that perhaps he wasn't allowed. Those of you who recently watched the documentary about him saw um, almost the robotic nature in which he was raised to be a champion. And those relationships now um, make this all the more, uh, I guess, tragic, right? As he's coming to become a completely different person on the course and alongside his fellow golfers, Rocco Mediate, former golfer, was talking about this sort of brotherhood, and this is a different perspective when you consider Tiger's place in it now than when he was at the peak of his powers, but as distant as could be. 
Mr. Palmer taught me one real, uh, several cool things, but one really cool thing is that, listen, you're in a fraternity talking to me. I'd be in his office in Latrobe all the time. Because you're in a fraternity. You are one of the best players in the world because you are a professional golfer on the PJ Tour. Okay? You guys are all together, and you treat each other that way. You may not like one guy. You treat him professionally. You, you know what I'm saying? He's like, you're all so when something happens to one of you, it happens to all of you. Feel it. It, it hurts. It's, it's a horrible feeling. I mean, I was like, I was like sick to my stomach. Yeah, it's just it's just a, a different feeling. And you saw, um, you know, in the middle of a press conference today, um, asking Justin Thomas about his feelings. And, um, you know, I, I do think there will continue to be a lot of support for Tiger, a lot of rallying around him. Not that there wouldn't have been before, but he has he has a greater connection with a lot of people that he held at a distance than he used to. Uh, we will keep you updated on Tiger's condition as the updates become available and have some guests on uh, to share their perspective and th- what they know. Uh, but we got some stuff to get into with the Lakers as they continue their slide without Anthony Davis. Some stuff that LeBron had to say last night about his minutes. We'll get to it next on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Never trust athletes to make the best decisions about their own rest or health because we know the ambition is there, the drive to win is there. But should LeBron James be different when it comes to trusting a guy to know what he needs at any given moment in his career and in a season? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And we're talking Lakers, so it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. As they drop another game with Schroeder and AD out, and as LeBron's minutes go up, a lot of conversation about whether somebody should step in and limit his minutes. Get him to rest. This is also because he himself offered up after last night's loss that he doesn't want to hear about that. He said, I think the whole narrative of LeBron needs more rest or I should take more rest or I should take time here. It's become a lot bigger than what it actually is. I've never talked about it. I don't talk about it. I don't believe in it. We all need more rest. Fast turnaround from last season and we all wish we could have more rest, but I'm here to work. I'm here to punch my clock in and be available to my teammates. Now, Fitz, I would usually err on the side of saying, People need to step in. Athletes are going to want to go, go, go. But I think LeBron is in a world of his own here because of the amount he's invested in his career and his body and because I think he has benchmarks he has yet to hit, and he wants to be around for those. He can pass Kareem for the highest point total of all time. He can get more MVPs and more titles, and I think that matters to him. So if this were a case where he was pushing and didn't feel like he was doing right by his body, I think he'd say something. I think he's just waiting for Schroeder and AD to come back, for them to feel a little more settled, for when he can pull back and the team doesn't rely on him so much. Doesn't he at some point also deserve benefit of the doubt because his body hasn't given up on him right. in the key time? Like, right. I mean, that, that's one thing. Like, If you put yourself in a situation where you have failed your team and you've been the reason that your team lost because you didn't have any juice left in the tank, and now all of a sudden we see you going down that path again, sure, I can see sort of an Or if you're perennially here. hurt, right? right? If you're someone who's like, this will work out, and you're like, oh, let me take a look at your past. Like every time I do, and I've done like the insanity workouts a bunch of times in my life, but as I get older, anytime God, I'm I'd started, love to see that. Oh, oh, it's it's uncoordinated, <laughs> but boy, Dwight, like I'll get skinny fast. You like, give it your all, yeah. Oh, you yeah, just, you get you get into it. 
there, there's no doubt. Like I just, you know, starve myself while I do insanity and bam, I can drop 15 pounds. But the thing is, I've learned as I get older, like I used to be able to pound through insanity and have no problem. Now, if I do it like for three days afterwards, I can't stand up straight. So I understand <laughs> if I'm going to do insanity and my friends are like, hey, 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 you're old, you're fat and you're out of shape. Don't do it anymore. Like I get it. That's a good message I need to hear. I'm not sure that anybody has the right to tell LeBron that because he's still going out and crushing when it comes to knowing what his body is and isn't capable of doing. So until his body fails him at a time that's unexpected, I don't really know why we're questioning it. Realistically, for the Lakers right now, they're trying to test everything out, see how they can remain competitive. But again, as we said last week, I don't think there's a big panic button moment for them right now. They know they don't have AD on the court. So so as long as LeBron's putting in the minutes and trying to will them to victory, even if it's not working, I'm not going to panic. And Fitz, I think the metrics that you use are going to help you figure out your take on this, right? You can either look at this is a more condensed schedule than they've ever played. This is more overtimes in a short span than he's ever played. This was the shortest off season to come off of. And you can say he needs to treat this differently, right? Or you can say in the macro, as my colleague Monica McNutt said on ATH today, the combined number of games he's played over the last two, two plus seasons is fewer than before because he didn't have finals trips that were lengthy the same way. He didn't have uh, Olympics and such like that. So um, I, I do think it was an interesting stat from Bill Plaschke today that this month is the first time he will lead the NBA in minutes played since he was 21, which is wild, right? Uh, and, and there's so many things that go into that. You know, what other teams are playing superstars every minute of every game because they have to, whereas maybe his team gets up and he gets to rest down the stretch. But it is kind of funny to imagine that this would be the first time he might lead the league um, since then. I, I also think, you know, a lot of this is that the focus is very much on the Lakers because of their slump, and a lot of people are worried about whether or not it actually matters to have a home advantage without fans to care about their seating or if they should be entirely focused on June and July and be okay with losing a couple of these games by pulling LeBron out. Well, they, in my mind, absolutely. They should be okay with losing some games. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I, I really like what you said a minute ago about, you know, with less rest, maybe his body needs more care. I guess the, the way I would twist that, though, at this point is to say, knowing that he had less rest and that nobody knows his body better than LeBron, now's when the Lakers really need to listen to him and trust him because he's earned that trust. So if he comes in and says, hey, I need tonight off, then unilaterally you turn around and you say, okay, if he doesn't want to play tonight, we're pulling him. If he wants to limit his minutes, we're pulling him. But you can't, uh, in my mind, you can't give him the freedom to have that side of it without giving him the opportunity for the other side of it, which is, all right, if he thinks he can go full throttle right now and it doesn't hurt his process, I trust him to know his body better right. than the trainers do. LeBron absolutely has, for his entire career, had a better understanding of what he's physically capable of than anyone around him knows. Well, and I can't imagine Frank Vogel is going to be the guy that tells them to sit or play. So he's he's <laughs> he's in charge. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. We'll get into some more Lakers with Dave McMenamin later, and particularly whether or not Boogie Cousins going to the Lakers again is a possible help for them while they weather the storm without AD. I also wanted to quickly, though, get into another big man in the league. Uh, Mark Cuban today feeling sort of compelled to come out and publicly state that the Mavs are not shopping Kristaps Porzingis. Um, in fact, he, according to some outlets, is infuriated that he had to go public with that statement. Kristaps was balling out in the bubble, right? Absolutely crushing before that injury. But the injury 
is something that can't be ignored. Lateral meniscus injury that kept him out. So it's a short off season anyway. So he's got a rehab and recover from surgery and has been inserted back to the lineup. It hasn't been good. It hasn't been pretty. It doesn't look like a perfect fit with him and Doncic. That being said, do they need to allow more time to figure out if it's a matter of health and recovery and if he can get back to that guy we saw in the bubble? Or is this them looking ahead to say, can we trade him out and try to get a different piece that might better serve our superstar Luca? I think there's a bit of both here. And when I say that, it's not because I'm hedging my bet. It's because in my mind, realistically, if they want to give him time and see how he can gel, that's great. But if they're going to move him, they need to move him now because they are sitting on an opportunity with Luka that it feels like they're just wasting whatever this moment is for Luka Doncic, and they want to put their opportunity to go out and be as successful as possible with what has turned out to be one of the best players in the NBA. So, obviously, given Porzingis' contract, given the fact that it hasn't always been uh, tulips and you know roses in this process so far, that them gelling together, if you can get out, get out. And if you find somebody that wants to take that deal, awesome. But are they going to find somebody that wants to take that deal? I don't think so. So to me, it makes sense to shop him now quietly. And if there's no takers, then you can afford to be patient and say, hey, let's just get healthy. Let's take our time and let's see if by the playoffs these two can be playing together. But in order for them to have any real success, Porzingis is going to have to be healthy. And that's not a given at any point in his career so far. So that's a big leap. Yeah, the Mavs sub 500, certainly not where they thought they would be not building on last year. And Kristaps, yeah, the question is, how are you selling him? Can you convince other people that he's the guy in the bubble and he just needs time? Well, then why are you trading him, right? It's more mm-hmm. likely that people will think that this is where he's stuck. One Western Conference executive telling Bleacher Report that Kristaps has, quote, looked like a scarecrow. I'm not sure the guy can guard anybody. It's that mobility issue. It's the injury issues. Um, now it's a reevaluation, and I'm sure he's denying the trade because he doesn't want Kristaps to hear about it if it doesn't happen, Right. Uh, That's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Also of note, quickly, some news on Ben Roethlisberger. Aditi Kikinbowale said that he will indeed be back as the starting quarterback this fall for the Steelers. She spoke to his agent, Ryan Tolner, who said, you know, they haven't figured out the contract yet, but they're happy to creatively adjust to help them build the best team possible. Uh, He is burning to remedy the fact that they kind of wilted down the finish last year. So he's got a lot of gas in the tank. Uh, We'll get you more on Big Ben and any other news about that um, as it comes in and as the contract gets finalized. But wanted to get you updated on that news. Coming up here on Spain and Fitz, we're going to head to L.A. We're going to tell you what we know about the Tiger Woods accident earlier today and what we're hearing from the press conferences and information that's coming out now. All the details. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Get out there. You can get some exclusive content sometimes we do out there that you can only get on the podcast. Have a little bit of extra fun with us. In the meantime, obviously, the biggest story of today is the one-car accident you just heard referenced in SportsCenter involving Tiger Woods. So to get the latest on that, we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Kurt Sandoval from ABC7 out in L.A. Kurt, thanks so much for the time. What's the latest uh, that you know on the entire situation? Well, thank you, Jason and Sarah. You know, the latest is the Sheriff's Department just had a press conference and, you know, a couple of things jumped out at me. Uh, First and foremost, they've pretty well ruled out alcohol was not involved. Uh, And obviously with, you know, some of Tiger's past, you know, that was a natural thought process. So good to hear that. Secondly, where he had the accident, 
uh, in a part of the greater Los Angeles area is a very wealthy area, a lot of rolling hills. And apparently it's, uh, it's one of the highest traffic accident areas that they're really used to having accidents in this area that if you take your foot off the brake, you're going to go downhill at 50 miles an hour, you know, easily get distracted. And the police said there's no, um, there's no skid marks. He was conscious when they pulled him out. They arrived six months after the call. And I thought the other good thing that they said was they took him to the best trauma hospital, uh, which was farther away that deals more with trauma rather than the best hospital in itself, meaning his injuries were not life-threatening. As serious as those injuries are, they didn't feel they were life-threatening. So I thought that was uh, some positive signs. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Kurt Sandoval of ABC7 in L.A. The uh, alcohol being ruled out, is that separate from anything having to do with drugs that might be in his system? Because we do know that his previous DUI involved painkillers and sleep drugs. So that's that's a separate thing that they haven't yet let us know about. Yes? Yes, but they say that that even his behavior to get a blood test at the at the hospital for that. Now, clearly, he's going to go into surgery. They're going to do blood tests, take blood, and all that that type of stuff. But they really made it like it was more a you know. And and here's this is a happens in this area doesn't mean it did happen. There's all sorts of deer that run across that area because there were no skid marks. Um, and they have no reason to believe that he fell asleep at the wheel. I, you know, one of our sports guys um, has a friend. He was apparently playing golf, rolling holes, or golf digest, doing this big shoot. They closed the club. Let's see if we can reconnect with Kurt. Let's yeah, see if we can get another uh, another line for him. I, I think what he's talking about, what we do know from our own uh, reporting um is he was headed to a photo shoot, according to Shelley Smith of ESPN, to play golf and and take a photo with Drew Brees and and Justin Herbert. And according to TMZ, uh, there are members of of a TV crew that actually were in the same place as Tiger this morning, leaving the same hotel. And according to the director of the show, Gronish, um, driving uh, right around 7 a.m., Tiger was driving very fast as he left the hotel property and almost hit the director's car, shaken enough to tell production staff about it after he parked, and it seemed like perhaps he was agitated and impatient about uh, being late and took off fast. Set to arrive at Riviera Golf Course at 7.30 a.m. and was leaving the hotel just at 7, uh, potentially then was in a hurry. Of course, this is all just perspective from this director and isn't, isn't clear, but... Um, Kurt, you you uh, you cut out. I think you were saying that he was expected to be somewhere for a photo shoot uh, down down in in the area he was in. Right, and and it wasn't Riviera; it was Rolling Hills Country Club, and and not just a photo shoot. But he was supposed to play golf with Drew Brees and Justin Herbert, the Chargers quarterback. Um, and that's we heard a lot of the same reports that he was in a hurry. Again, unsubstantiated, but the reality is in this area. Um, and I have a, a cycling friend who cycles in this area. Is like, there's accidents all the time over there, and it wouldn't take much for you to be distracted and lose control. So the fact is, um, the, the police report is saying alcohol not involved. They didn't need a blood test. Um, he was in severe pain. You know, it's common to be in shock. They did not use the jaws of life. What they did do is use an axe and they tore off the front windshield and pulled him out, put him on a board to make sure if he had any spinal injuries. Um, And that's from what 
we absolutely know that's what the sheriff's department out here just held a press conference. We're talking to Kurt Sandoval from ABC7 in L.A. Kurt, have they given any indication of what the extent of the leg injuries are? They, everybody's asking, and, you know, because of HIPAA rules, they can't say, and they're not going to say. Um, I saw the L.A. Times reported that a shattered ankle was one of them, but the one of the sheriffs did say injuries to both legs. Um, so at, at what extent, don't know. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz at Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to Kurt Sandoval of ABC7 in L.A. Um, Kurt, you know, not that long ago, just almost a year ago, was, was of course, the tragedy involving Kobe Bryant. And there was a lot of criticism uh, for those who, even if they wanted to do so in support of him, arrived on the scene and perhaps created uh, more safety issues. Is that happening at Mm -hmm. the site? Everybody knows where this is now. Are people arriving and gawking? I would be worried about if you'd said it's sort of an unsafe area already for the rubbernecking to potentially cause further accidents. Well, you're spot on, Sarah. Great question, because apparently there was already an accident before they got Tiger out of that car. There was an accident from the looky lose. And because of that, in that area being a windy road and on a downhill, um, the person who actually helped Tiger climbed over his fence and down the hill. And he was the one who called 911. There are no, there's no parking spots along that road. But we've had, as you might imagine, wall-to-wall coverage, and we have a reporter who lives in that area, and she was bringing up that exact point. It's now flooded with people driving by because, obviously, Mm. we all know Tiger is a transcends golf. He's a a world phenomenon. So, Kurt, do we have any sense of when we will get more updates on what his current situation is? We don't. And, and listen, I was just out at, you know, Tiger hosted the – tournament the pga tournament out here the genesis invitational when you see the video of the you know vehicle he was driving it was a 2021 genesis um he is the tournament host his his charity recently rebranded from the tiger woods foundation to tiger woods golf um they he was the host he was the one giving max homa uh the local kid here who won and, and homa was the one jokingly sunday night saying you know, I fell in love with golf because of Tiger Woods. I came out here, you know, as a kid hoping for a high five, and now Tiger's giving me the trophy. Um, but we don't know. And all we do know is that he had the Genesis, and right after that, Golf Digest was doing a two-day um, documentary with him. You know, uh, several pro athletes and actors had posted things, including Dwayne Wade, uh, that they played with him yesterday. So um, what happens next, you know, I reached out to that same guy with the uh, with TWG, and he just says we're deferring everything to his agent, that they're looking for privacy. And, and you guys know, Tiger has, you know, two kids, and, and I'm sure they want to know before all of us want to know. And it's, but I will tell you this, the scene out at the hospital where he's at, it looks like something from the Super Bowl. It's just media from around the world just to tell you the magnitude of, of Tiger Woods still. Yeah, Kurt, it does feel like hopefully there were some lessons learned from this happening not long ago as far as the family members and kids go. Um, I know there, there, there were a lot of people who maybe didn't handle everything that happened with Kobe right in the media. I can't expect the best of, of us. Um, there are always going to be right. people who want to capitalize on this, but I hope that uh, it's handled with better care this time around as people speculate, particularly because um, 
you know, we didn't lose him like we did Kobe so instantly. There's probably going to be some recovery and everything else. And so uh, a, a little bit of privacy, as that is figured out, um, would be nice. Although I won't I won't expect a complete overhaul of the entirety of our industry uh, because of this. Yeah, and, and Sarah, I, I, I'm sure you guys have both seen the HBO documentary. And, yeah. and one of the things that I was asking uh, a gentleman with his foundation this weekend is, you know, where did Tiger stand on that? And Tiger, obviously, in the controlling the message, he didn't want to say anything. But the other reason why is Tiger's about to come out with a book really soon on this. So, you know, we've all watched, you know, Tiger grow up, you know, just like we watched Kobe grow up. So when things like this happen, and then the power of social media, everybody wants to almost, not everybody, unfortunately, a lot of people want to put themselves in the middle of the story. And the story is these serious leg injuries, you know, and it sounds like by the grace of God, they're not life threatening, but are they career ending? To be determined. Right. You guys can follow him on Twitter at ABC seven. Kurt, Kurt Sandoval. We appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us with the perspective. You bet you guys always enjoy your show. Thank you. Thanks. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven coming up. Wedding bells in one quarterback's future. We'll get to that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Wedding bells are in the air, and we'll get to, you know, one actual nuptial, but there's a football nuptial happening also, Sarah, as, you know, Carson Wentz is now married to the Indianapolis Colts. See what I did there? I'll put all this <laughs> together. And as he gets married to the organization, he has to figure out, you know, how to don the jersey that he's used to. He usually wears number 11, which so far has been uh, the, the number for Colts wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. So, you know, apparently Carson... And uh, Pittman had a little bit of a conversation, just a little feeling out. and like, hey, where are you on number 11? And Pittman was pretty clear, like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm keeping it. Carson's like, oh, okay, I was thinking about changing it. It's rare that we see a quarterback change teams, call to try and get his number, and then find out that, nah, nah, you're not getting that number here. I'm a little surprised to see that go down that way. So Pittman said, this is the direct quote from TMZ Sports. Yeah, so I spoke to Carson, and he was just seeing how locked in I was to number 11. And I told him I was locked in, and he was like, that's cool, bro, because I'm probably going to switch anyway. He asked me very respectfully, and I just appreciated him for that. I think he's a great dude, because lots of guys with his status, they would come in and demand and stuff like that. Okay, so if that's indeed how it went down, then we're good, right? Maybe Wentz wants a clean slate with the Colts. And the way things ended with the Eagles, maybe it's not surprising that he'd like to start fresh, New team, new colors, new jersey, new number. But if it didn't go down like that, if it was more like, yeah, dog, that's not happening, and he's like, well, what could I pay you? Nothing, it's not happening. Well, what could I give you? Nothing, there's not going to be a deal. That's a little different, right? And then that sits a little bit differently with me. I understand wanting to keep your jersey, but Pittman didn't even wear 11 for his life. He wore number six in college and he started with the Colts wearing number 86 before he switched to 11. So he hasn't even been wearing it for very long. So to me, it feels like Wentz who has been wearing 11 in college and for five years with the Eagles and is the starting quarterback and is the guy who's going to be throwing you passes would be someone that you'd want to keep happy, especially when he's arriving at the team with confidence issues. And if you're going to have him show up and not treat him 
like every other superstar who goes and gets the jersey that they want, I don't know if it's a great starting point for this team to instill in him the confidence that they have as their guy, their franchise quarterback. It might not be all that much, but if it is, it could be something to keep an eye on. I mean, look, we all agree that it's not this massive earth-shattering deal, but I think you're totally right. Like Certain quarterbacks have cachet when they walk in the room, so this speaks to the lack of cachet for Carson Wentz. And as much as I, I love the way it's described by Pittman going down, it reminds me a little of the movie Elf, a movie we both love, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a scene where Buddy the Elf is scooping the spaghetti out for his dad and saying, how many scoops for you? And dad's like, no, I'm, I'm just going to take coffee. And he's like, oh, that's, that's fine. And he scoops the, the spaghetti back in nonchalantly. I feel like that's what happens here. <laughs> Carson is like, how fired up are you for it? Right. He's like, oh, I want it. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't want but it. But what anyway. if I were to give you this? No, not a chance. But what if I were to give? Oh, okay, I didn't want it anyway. You know yeah, what? Yeah. I'm thinking about 13. I'm thinking about 13. I mean, that's just, in my mind, that's how it feels like something like that goes down. But I just can't imagine, and it does speak to whatever, wherever the disconnect is for Carson Wentz, because most quarterbacks coming in, especially when they're traded for, there's this perception like this is the new guy in town. And you're right, he could have used his cachet, or, or Pittman's right in saying like most guys would come in and use their clout score as a reason to get that number. But it also speaks to the lack of clout score that it wasn't just given over. <laughs> given. Just <for> it. <laughs> Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. That's not the only uh, engagement talk that's going on or marriage you know we got a marriage yeah, you could have also gone with speaking of clout even if you're one of the best oh. players to ever play it doesn't mean everybody knows who you are look at that aaron <laughs> Rodgers is engaged to uh shailene woodley the actress and uh, uh there is a an interesting moment here as woodley openly admits and I, I want you to hear this Aaron, and then see if you're buying in because woodley <laughs> makes it clear on uh, jimmy fallon that she doesn't really know much about aaron Rodgers' greatness we got engaged a while ago and it's it's been he's first of all just a wonderful incredible human being but I never thought I'd be engaged with somebody who threw balls for a living like I never <laughs> thought as a little girl I was like yeah when I grow up I'm gonna marry someone who who throws balls yeah um but he's really just so good at it and <laughs> he really knows how to throw a ball yeah he can throw fastballs, he can throw slow balls, high balls, low balls. When I first met him, I think my dog, my dog like pulled me aside and was like, if you don't date this dude, I will disown you as my mother because the three foot, like the three feet that I run with you when you throw a ball is nothing compared to the marathon that I'm able to run with him. When we met also, like I knew he was a football guy, but I didn't know like what kind of a football guy he was. Um, and I'm still constantly learning. I'm still like, oh, wow. You know, friends would be like, you got to watch his YouTube greatest. Or you got, and I was like, I don't, I don't get it. He's good. He's yeah, great. He's like, really I, don't, good. I don't understand. <laughs> That's so funny. Because <laughs> I don't know him as a football guy. I know him as like the nerd who wants to host Jeopardy. You know, like that's the dude I know. <laughs> he loves um, Jeopardy. I love he that. He just happens to also be very good at, at sports. <laughs> First of all, uh, there's so much of this I like. I like the, uh, I didn't know what kind of football guy he was. He's the quarterback <laughs> kind. Uh, he's throws balls for a living, which is accurate, unfortunately, yeah. for all involved. No and then And then Fallon just being like, yeah, he's 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 good. He's, he's pretty good. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about this because on the one hand, it's actually pretty nice. And one of the reasons that Aaron Rodgers is not even on the sly. I've been open about this. My favorite player, despite being a Bears fan, is because he's not a stereotypical NFL jock. Like, he's interested in other things, and he's thoughtful, and he wants to host Jeopardy, like she said. Um, so I don't think he needs to be with someone who's diehard obsessed with football. Like, it's probably nice for him to leave practice and just go talk about anything else. 
But maybe like a little bit more because she said she'd never been to a football game in her life. And that part for me is like, but can you connect on something that's like his entire life? Like, can you still can you get to somewhere in the middle there or no? Uh, well, and apparently they fell in love fast because she also says, hey, this all started during the quarantine thing. Right. And so and haven't had we've the been chance engaged to go to a for a while. Game. But we, yeah. So like <laughs> I, I had no idea. This is like she Aaron Rodgers smitten right away. Like he, yeah. he, third date, third date. Love you. Fourth date. Let's get married. I mean, it, it feels <laughs> like, you know, quarantine either sped it up or really broke it for most couples. Right. So maybe this is the, the, the sort of effect here where the quarantine brought them together faster than they anticipated. Suddenly, bam, we got popping the question. I, it, it feels and it does feel a little strange. You're right. She doesn't have to know anything about football and that doesn't really blow my mind. But when you think about the time commitment that football is in mm-hmm. the fall, man, like that's the part of it where you just think, okay, at least they need to be prepared to understand like your significant other needs to be prepared to understand what it is that takes all of your life for, I don't know, five months a year. So things th- things like that seems like they need to work that out. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I also think like that might be his thing, even though Danica Patrick was in the mix there and she's obviously an athlete and in the sports world and a big Chicago Bears fan. So that was always a funny back and forth with them. Back when he was with Olivia Munn, I think she said something very similar, like, yeah, not super into the NFL. I think he plays football well, or like when they met, she didn't even really know. Um, so I have to admit and not to brag, but I have a pretty good story about a Hollywood celeb back in my single days when I lived in LA and I thought it was him, but I wasn't sure. And so I was talking to him just like an average everyday person. And I think he really enjoyed that. I wasn't fawning all over him and asking him about his movies and stuff. And so uh, we ended up dating for a little bit. Uh, actually, there's two people like that that were Hollywood uh, hunks. And one of them I knew who exactly who he was, and I played dumb because I learned the first time that that was the game to play. So I think maybe there's just something about everyone treating you differently, and then you come across someone who treats you like a normal person and maybe doesn't even get that angle, and it makes you feel better about the relationship than if they if they felt like they were in the game, you know? In, in that case, I'm not a huge Olivia Munn fan, and I've never <laughs> seen her work. We'll just see how. I'm just going to throw that into the ethos, and we'll see how that put it out there. Works You're out. married now, okay? I was yeah, single. That's, that's fair. That is fair. But for Olivia, I'm just I saying. All right, we'll <laughs> we'll recap our top story today. We'll get to the latest on what we know about Tiger Woods. That's coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. In just about 15 minutes, we'll go to the Goodyear hotline where we'll be joined by Seth Wickersham to talk about a cool article that's out on ESPN.com. Real deep dive into DeMora Smith and some of the labor issues that haunt the NFL and uh, the NFL Players Association, how it all went down. A really cool article you should check out. But in the meantime, before we get to any of that, Sarah, the big news of today has been Tiger Woods, who, for anyone that hadn't seen yet, uh, was involved in a one-car accident early this morning in L.A. Uh, As a result of that, was taken to the hospital where he's uh, gone through multiple hours of surgeries uh, on what is reportedly multiple leg injuries. So we don't know the full extent of it, but this is a really important time that we'll continue together on this show to preach a little patience because it's really easy in these situations to, in my opinion, go too far in any direction, whether it's about trying to figure out what an athlete's legacy is or what they've done in their life or how they can get back to doing what they did before. Right now, I think the only thing we can be focused on is we know 
Tiger Woods was in a massive in, uh, accident. We know that he sustained significant injuries. That's all we know. So until we know anything else, I don't want to eulogize somebody that's still with us, and I don't want to turn around and end somebody's career when we don't know the extent of that. I also don't want to turn around and suddenly presume that they'll be back on the uh, to doing what they did. It's like all we can do is take the information we have right now, deal with it, and that information says that Tiger's been hurt and we don't know the extent. I agree. And it's something that I've had to consider as I think about what I want to say publicly on TV and on the radio, but also in just engaging in social media. And um, I I get frustrated with people, even if I don't think there's malice in what they're doing. There was someone quite soon after the first report who said, well, this is it for his, 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 his golf career. This is the last draw. And I said, there's really no reason for that. We don't even know what happened yet. And, And I think that those kind of speculations, maybe no one else sees them, but if friends or family see them, um, or if people who are close uh, see them, it's just unnecessarily adding to what's already a traumatic experience. So I think it's it's better and smarter to share the news that we have, to hope for the best, to keep people updated so that they don't go searching for underground sources that might not be right or vetted, um, and to have conversations about the way we, we really talk about these things. Scott Van Pelt, who obviously knows Tiger Woods very well, a uh, host of uh, Sports Center with SVP, also a golf analyst for us here at ESPN, was on earlier today during some of the coverage right after the accident and um, said, I think, what we should all all be considering as we talk about this. This is someone that, and he, he and I have joked my entire career, that he's single-handedly responsible for it. And it's not a joke. I met him when he was a freshman at Stanford. And he became this this rock star, and uh, I was lucky enough to be close enough to cover him and came to ESPN because I covered him. Over time, you get to know each other as people, and, and you, he becomes a dad and you know becomes an old guy with a bald spot and a fused back, as I've talked about so many times, and becomes so much more relatable as a human uh, than he was when he was a 20-something-year-old Superman and, and was this, this superhero version of us. And so it's... It's odd, you know, Matt, when, when you, you feel so, you know, personally connected to this story because you, you just want so badly for this person you know to be okay. I don't give a damn about the golf, right. you know? And important, I think, go ahead. Go, well, important context there at the end. Like, this is all about Tiger being okay. And when we mentioned earlier in the show, and I think because of where it is in the calendar, the time of year, I mean, the, the loss of Kobe still haunts so many of us, right? So uh, the minute that you see that, it, and it just sort of takes you back to where you were a year ago and the moment that we lost Kobe, it became very easy to turn this into that. And so far, it is not. Uh, so, you know, obviously, oh, we're going to get the, some of the latest of it right now. Uh, Shelly Smith is going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Shelly, thanks so much uh, for the time. We appreciate you coming on. What is the latest that you know uh, on Tiger in this situation? Well, we understand he's been airlifted to UCLA in Westwood, which is a good sign because you cannot be transported unless you are stable. And he was at Harbor UCLA, which is one of the better, well, probably one of the best trauma hospitals in the city. And he is now at UCLA in Westwood, which is a good sign. Um, We understand that he was headed to a photo shoot at Rolling Hills Country Club this morning early. Uh, This is a very easy road to speed on because it's, there's no morning traffic because of the pandemic and it's just it's four lanes and it goes downhill and they have all these signs that say you know be sure to use your brakes and use a downshift gear and all that kind of stuff i mean there's no ice or anything like that but um it's a very easy road to go too fast on and i'm sure i've done it and i think i am surmising that's 
what happened. I think it was just an accident. But the car looked so bad, and we saw it go by us uh, as they were hauling it away, and it just looked horrific, which is why, as you guys said, uh, people are equating it with the Kobe crash, which is it's not even nearly as serious as that was. You know, we're also hearing that uh, there were some different reports about Jaws of Life versus an axe or whatever they used. Did it feel like also some of the damage done to the car was done in them excavating him? I don't I don't know. And I mean, Jaws of Life, it's the same thing. It's right. just a different term for excavating, you know, and, and I don't know why. Maybe they have a contract with Jaws of Life or something, but um, it could be. I mean, they had to get him out, I think, through the top, through the sunroof, but I don't know that for sure. Or potentially the windshield, yeah. Or the windshield, yeah, one of the two. And he was conscious, apparently, and in, you know, good spirits, apparently, after getting in a crash like that. And you just don't know until you hear from him. And and who knows if that will ever happen. But um, it was scary enough that we got out here as fast as we could. And I was here, you know, about one of the first people on the scene, although we couldn't get close to the scene. They had so many hours between the time it was, it happened and he was taken to the hospital and then they announced it to the media. It was already, you know, 11 o'clock. So it'd been good four hours. So they had it well taped off and well, we had to walk a half mile down. I mean, I'm not complaining, but a half mile down to the police tape. And then you couldn't even see the crash scene. Um, so I drove by it later and I saw where he went off the road and hit the median and went into the, into a gully filled with brush. And there's really no way of knowing that that's where he hit, except for that, that people were standing outside taking pictures. So, um, we hope he's okay. Uh, it's, it's just hard when it's somebody, you know, and, and that you covered and, and certainly Kobe was tragic. This is fortunately not tragic. We're talking to Shelly Smith, uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Shelly, any indication on when we'll get additional updates at this point? Well, we're hoping to get something tonight from the hospital, but you, you just don't know because of HIPAA rules and all that kind of stuff. Sarah, you know about those. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just you don't know. We know that he's he, they're not life-threatening injuries. We know I, I've heard different reports that he broke both legs and punctured a lung, but I've also heard that it wasn't that bad, so... You just don't want to speculate on stuff like that. I hope we hear that he's going to be just fine and, and back. And I don't think he'll be playing in the Masters, but we, you never know. You never know. He's tough as nails. He's the toughest, one of the toughest athletes I know because he's been through so much already. Yeah, one of the things we actually heard about was the uh, admiration he had for Ben Hogan who, of course, um, was in an accident with a Greyhound bus and came back to play and oh. succeed. and. Um, <laughs> Right, this there you go. Of, There's your idol. <laughs> right, this eerie similarity, yeah. though, to to having survived and 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 listen. There's no reason to presume that the same effects or or same result, right. but something to sort of look to um, as as he uh, presumably begins rehab and other things. Uh, Shelley, before we let you go, I did want to also just say you did such a lovely job with uh, the tribute to our to our colleague Pedro. Oh, and, um, it was really it was, moving. It was. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I've written a bunch of uh, obits, my mom's and my sister's, but I didn't have to voice them. Yeah. And voicing it was really, really, really hard. So thank that you for really saying beautiful. that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Shelly, we appreciate you giving us the latest. Thank you so much for your time, and keep on doing great things. We appreciate it. 
Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Code Explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. Coming up next, a deep dive into Demora Smith with an expert. We'll get into it next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get back to the latest and keep you updated on the latest on Tiger Woods as we continue throughout the course of the show. In the meantime, though, there's a great article out on ESPN.com right now that was written by both Don Van Nata—I'm hmm, going to try and speak again, Sarah. We're going to see if I can do this. It was written by both Don Van Nata Jr. and Seth Wickersham. Seth joins us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Seth, thanks for the time. The article is a deep dive into Demora Smith, and it's interesting because it talks about dual legacy. I've been particularly tough on Demora Smith, I think, at times on air because of the fact that players always seem dissatisfied with the negotiations and the labor agreement that they currently have. So I guess when you look through his legacy, did he do a good enough job after everything that you guys reported in the last labor negotiation contract, uh, uh, the negotiations? Um, hey, guys. Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't think that there's a clear answer to it right now. I think that, you know, the dual legacies are really interesting because in one sense, he has helped provide what fans want, which is, you know, more football and labor peace. You know, the, the, the NFL hasn't had games canceled because of labor problems since, what, 1987. And, you know, D. Smith, you know, in his 11-year tenure – almost 12 years now has done, you know, a great job um, of delivering football. But the question, of course, is it what cost? And I don't think we know right now. I think that it's going to be, you know, revealed over time. And so I think that what Don and I were looking to do is, you know, take a, a hard look at his tenure and also try to ask questions such as, you know, what is D. Smith's power and how does he choose to deploy it and what does it mean? Everyone should read the full story and also listen to Don Van Atta, the other author on ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre, where they can get into some of the detail. We won't have as long here, but quickly in the story, you talk about how uh, he trampled dissenters en route to securing the new CBA Mm -hmm. within his own ranks, not just from Mm -hmm. opposition, uh, presided over a union that commissioned a law firm to investigate a player rep who questioned his honesty, benefited from ratifying a constitutional change that made it more difficult for somebody to come in and run against him and unseat him. They caved on two of the biggest issues, which is more games, and then another CBA that's a decade long, which means a length of time wherein they won't be able to change even as revenues for TV go way up and revenues on the player side are minimal. The fact that there are opponents on the opposite side of his, on the owner side, that want to build a statue of him outside their stadiums, that's how good he's been for business, to me says that I would be terrified and disappointed if I were a player understanding that he has now set them up for a decade during which it feels as though the other side has won without question. Does that seem to be the, the prevailing feeling from players, particularly many that you might have heard from after this story dropped? Yeah, and, you know, look, it's difficult. He he has a difficult job, and that's a, you know, that's a tough paragraph that you read, and, you know, we stand by it, obviously, but it's a difficult job that he has. And because the main reason is because careers are so short in the NFL, as we all know, you know, the biggest piece of leverage that players have is striking, and they choose not to do it. And so if that's taken off the table, 
and you have an ownership and management group that's unafraid to lock out the players, then, you know, what a win is, is muddied. What a win is for Demora Smith. How does that get defined? And, mm-hmm. you know, he went locker room to locker room for years trying to get players prepared for this, le- you know, for the latest round of collective bargaining negotiations that went on last year. Um, you know, he went, you know, club to club for a long time. And the players weren't always paying attention when he was in there. And he did tell them that, like, look, the, play- the league wants an extra game, and so what do we want in return? And if we don't want to play an extra game, are we willing to strike? And he said, if we strike, it might last two or three years. And at the end of the day, you know, not enough players wanted to do that. It seems like that not enough players really liked the CBA as it was, even though it passed. It only passed by 60 votes. 500 players didn't vote. And after it was passed, a bunch of players tried to get back in and change their right. votes. They, of course, weren't allowed to do that. But, you know, it's a, he's a difficult job. There's no doubt about that. But the problem is, is that, you know, it's, a lot of players do feel like that he's become an asset to management, which the problem for D. Smith is that's exactly how the league and the owners feel. I have a quick follow for you. I know that was important to him was not to give up short-term wins at the expense or to get short-term wins at the expense of long-term victories uh, or losses. I, sh- I, I can't spit it out, but you get what I'm saying. If the players' <laughs> careers are so short, but the duration of ownership is, is a lifetime, is it possible to win? Because those short gains will be successes for the couple years that some players might be in the league. Uh, wouldn't it be always wise in their case to just do shorter deals because you can't benefit these players over the course of a decade? Yeah, that's a very smart observation. And that's exactly a conundrum. I mean, that's why both he takes these deals that provide a short-term kind of stimulus for the players. Obviously, things play out over time that work out in their favor. But, you know, at the end of these at the end of these agreements, which the past two have lasted 10 years, it's overwhelmingly clear that the owners are doing incredibly well the players are doing very well, but are they doing well enough? The NFL is America's most popular sport. And, you know, on his first day at work in 2009, he op- D. Smith opened his desk drawer in Washington, D.C., and he found a handwritten speech. It was by Gene Upshaw, his predecessor. And he said that in this speech, owners will always take a short-term loss for a long-term gain. And those words were kind of prescient, you know, it, it would clarify D. Smith's job. His job was not only to notch wins at the negotiating table, but it was to ensure that the league didn't break the union. And believe me, as he said in our story, the people on the other side of the table are killers. They want to break the union. In that regard, D. Smith has been successful because they haven't broken the union. Not yet. We're talking to Seth Wickers, a ESPN senior writer, about a, the article that's on ESPN.com right now with Demora Smith, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Seth... Even before this most recent CBA, there were a lot of players that felt that they got their butts kicked the time before, which Demora Smith also negotiated, yet they unanimously reelected him to be their, 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 their voice here. So how much culpability do the players have for putting somebody in continually that they think is getting his butt kicked in these new negotiations every time? Well, there's a lot of that, and it's more complicated. That you know, I probably can't go into all the details because we don't have enough time. But you know, the union changed the rules for electing its executive director, and rather than have it be an open vote or even a vote by player team representatives, they essentially changed the rules when in um, 
in uh, 2018, I believe, only have 14 executive committee members elect the executive director. And, um, you know, that was very difficult. And Charles Mann, one of the great Washington football players who was supporting the candidacy of a, of a very well-respected lawyer named Cyrus Mary, who wanted to challenge Steve Smith, basically realized that it was impossible to beat him. All he had to do was gain the support of 14 players, and he was reelected. He said he had the top job for life, and Cyrus Mary told us in the story, the fix was so in, it's so rigged. They were afraid he could lose, and they were afraid of they were afraid of the competition. That's a you know, so yes, it's partly the players' issue if they're dissatisfied with D. Smith. They, but the union also changed the rules to make it so that it makes it incredibly difficult to unseat him. You guys can check out the article on ESPN.com. We'll also tweet it out. Seth, as always, we appreciate your time, man. Great work on it. It's really great read. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Seth. Gosh, we could have talked to him for a whole show. There's so yeah. much good stuff in there, Fitz. Everybody should definitely read it and listen to ESPN Daily. It, it's a great, great deep dive into how we got to a 17th game and everything that went into it for the NFL. So check it out. Coming up, could we see a Boogie Cousins Lakers reunion? We'll figure it out next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. In those conversations, but certainly plenty paying attention to LeBron James and the minutes. To join us to talk about that and all other things Lakers, ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMenamin. Dave, thanks for the time. Anytime you got it, sir. So LeBron offers this up, and the the cranky Frank, as we called him today on Around the Horn, Frank Isola said he's just trying to distract from that missed free throw and a bad shot down the stretch. I don't know if that's the case, but either way it worked, because now we're talking about his minutes instead of maybe the decision-making down the stretch. Are you with me that he's sort of earned the right to make these decisions because not only does he invest fiscally in his body, but he's proved over and over again that he manages it well and has some goalposts still yet to hit in his career, so he wouldn't burn himself out intentionally. I think he's right to make this decision on his minutes. Do you think the team should be stepping in? Yeah, I think it would be silly for any of us to assume that we know his body better than he does. And also to think that we have his well-being more in mind than he does at age 36 in his 18th season, coming off a championship and someone who's redefined what the definition of a prime is in the NBA, like, who are any of us to micromanage it? Obviously, if the Lakers medical staff and and the Lakers coaching staff and LeBron James are okay with it, we should be fine with it. Now, if we want to criticize his play, you can, and I think some parts of yesterday's performance certainly warranted it. Eight turnovers is you know unacceptable, and you know that free throw, you'd like to see that go down at the same time. The free throw only came after he hit the game-tying basket with less than 10 seconds to go with the entire defense keyed in on him because he has no teammates consistently making shots right now. And so, you know, listen, this is what LeBron is. He's always going to be a lightning rod uh, for us to discuss, and and here we are. Well, and and that's not the only part of the discussion here, Dave. uh, I mean, obviously you lose to Miami 96-94. That's part of the Tuesday Roundup brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone, I mean, you start talking about stringing a few losses together. I keep saying that there's no meaning to the regular season. Maybe it doesn't matter. Am I wrong? Like, when you see the Lakers lose right now, what's your level of panic? Zero. If they were losing these games with a healthy Anthony Davis, sure. But, I mean, they were losing games in the bubble in the seeding round with a healthy team. And they went out 
and won the first round by five games, second round by five games, Western Conference Finals by five games, and they're up 3-1 in the NBA Finals, and they would have won that in five games had Danny Green hit a wide-open three. So what are we talking about here? Now, I mean, I understand, like, the regular season should matter somewhat. Like, there's a big game tomorrow night between Lakers and the Jazz on ESPN. I hope everyone listening in tunes in to see some sort of glimpse of, of things that you could see if they were to meet in the playoffs. But to judge the Lakers when they're missing two starters is you're willfully ignoring pertinent information mm-hmm. in order to be critical of LeBron James. Right. Uh, or of, or of the favorite, depending on whether you hate LeBron or the front runner or both. Uh, we're talking to Dave McMenamin, ESPN NBA reporter here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk Boogie Cousins and Hassan Whiteside. Either of those guys look like someone who might end up on this roster and could help this roster. I'm not so sure um, that either of them will end up on the Lakers. Uh, I would be less confident on, on DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, the Lakers had every chance to bring him back in the offseason. Uh, obviously, they did what they could to maintain a relationship with him after he was waived last year. He was still around the team, still using team workout facilities uh, and things like that, trying to get back after those multiple injuries. Uh, but their problem isn't offensively, and, and that is the best skill. I mean, let me put it this way. Right now their problem is offensively without Anthony Davis, but overall what is missing from their championship puzzle compared to last year is paint protection. And DeMarcus Cousins is not that type of guy. Um, I would certainly say Whiteside would fit that profile more so. And the other guy, of course, is Andre Drummond in Cleveland. And we'll see exactly what the Cavs do with Drummond. Uh, you know, uh, they've been trying to stockpile draft picks as they take on these guys at the end of their contracts over the last several years in order to help their rebuild. Um, you know, is some team going to step in and give a, give a draft pick to the Cavs to, to get Drummond? Give a draft pick an expiring contract to get Drummond for the rest of the year? I doubt it. So it's most likely going to be a buyout opportunity, and then Drummond will say, okay, do we think I have a better chance to win a championship in Brooklyn or L.A. with the Clippers or the Lakers? And, I mean, to me, that's probably going to come down to a personal decision for him. We're talking to ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMiniman on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So how important is it in your mind that the Lakers make a move, or can they just? what if they just ride in with this roster they have the rest of the way? I, I think they should make a move, and I think they will. Uh, I've covered LeBron James' teams for seven straight years now. Every mm-hmm. single year, the last six years, there was some sort of deadline move. And sometimes it was a move that really paid off and was, was a momentum builder. Um, obviously, when they traded for Channing Frye in the 15-16 season, Frye was you know, monumental in that playoff run. Last year, trading for Marquise Morris. Uh, he had some some bright spots or, you know, getting Morris at the trade deadline, I should say, off of the waiver wire. Uh, but then you also saw moves that, that happened that didn't really do anything. You know, Tyson Chandler in the first year, LeBron was in L.A. Uh, you could point to uh, other moves uh, last year, bringing in Deion Waiters, bringing in J.R. Smith. Those guys didn't do anything. Uh, but I certainly think they will tweak this roster. You saw them waving Quinn Cook yesterday to free up the roster spot and not pay him his guaranteed salary for the rest of the year, which opens up the space in order to explore uh, moves as they you know start to pop up around the league because you know we're a month or so away from the trade deadline. 
Dave McMenamin with us here on Spain and Fitz talking Lakers. Are you surprised by Marcus all? I think everybody knew he was nearing the end of the road and maybe his hint at wanting to go back to Spain should have been a sign that he was aware that his years in the NBA might be limited, but he still seems, uh, I think, uh, underwhelming, even if you didn't expect much. Yeah, I think that's a totally fair way to put it, Sarah. I mean, he has been underwhelming. He statistically is the worst starting player in the league. Uh, when you talk about point production, talk about field goal percentage, talk about field goals attempted. Now, there are some wrinkles to his game that he's shown some bright spots with. You know, his his passing ability from the high post is sublime, and when they get the ball moving and get off-ball cutters going towards the hoop. I mean, he, he's really looked great in spots, but there's also been moments where it's like, is this guy even have it in him to go up and down the court at, at a rapid enough pace to affect either end of, of the action? And I think that's why you, when we talk about either it being Andre Drummond or you talk about it, it being someone else, uh, center is, is a position they should have their eyes at. I, I believe they do. And then I, I think they got to look at adding uh, another shooter if they can. Uh, Wes Matthews was brought in coming off the best team in the league record-wise last year with the Bucks, deciding that he has a better shot to, to win if he plays with the Lakers. And he basically had two good games this season and a, a bunch of other forgettable moments. Right. Uh, and listen, I, I covered – Mark, well, Mike Dunleavy with, with the Cavs in a similar situation. You know, he was a coveted shooter in the offseason. He could have picked a variety of different spots. He came in to play with LeBron because he knows how LeBron can create open opportunities. And he wasn't making open shots. And that's his job. You know, look, Joe Harris plays, I'm watching the Nets game right now against the, the Kings. He goes around, he gets open shots, he makes them. He's shooting 71% from the right wing. Uh, you know, you don't have to shoot 71%, but you got to be able to be consistent in making those opportunities or they got to find someone else. And so I, I think center or paint protector and shooter uh, will be at the top of their, their priority list as we go towards the buyout market. Uh, and I think more buyout market than trades uh, would be the likely scenario for the Lakers because they can't give up these young assets. They've already given up a bunch of tra- uh, picks to get Anthony Davis. If you give up a guy like Alex Caruso, give up a guy like Talon Hooker to get uh, Talon Horton Tucker, excuse me, to get a to get a, a player, then this summer you don't have any cap space, uh, and you're just hiring a bunch of veteran minimum guys, and you're an old slow roster, and, and that's caught up to LeBron in the past. Hmm. We appreciate the insight uh, and appreciate you, uh, as I guess Aaron Rodgers would say, R E L A X I N G everybody about what's going down with the Lakers. That took me longer than I'd like to admit, but I figured it out. Dave, thanks for the insight. Appreciate you, brother. Yep, you got it. Take Dave McMenamin, ESPN NBA reporter, with all sorts of info on the Lakers. That buyout and getting Andre Drummond would be huge in terms of any doubts we might have about whether they can fare against a team like the Nets. Coming up, some interesting comments from Alex Smith and All-Star Reserves announced in the NBA. We'll get to both next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. More to get to on this Tuesday. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sometimes we do some digital-only pre-show parties and after parties, which... 
Honestly, we haven't done lately, Fitz, and we need to get back to that. We've been slacking a little bit, uh, but we will soon again return with the digital-only content. And, of course, anytime you miss anything on the show, you can find it on the podcast, iTunes app, Apple, ESPN app, etc. I blame Let's, alcohol, by the way. I just right. I mean, well, first of all, after the show's tough because I'm starving and I just want to, like, release myself from the radio hole and go eat dinner— um, and before the show, just depends on our schedules. We're very busy people. Fitz. You know, I after mean. the show, I feel like I am one step away from being Will Ferrell in old school and just streaking <laughs> naked. So if I could just make it through the show, that's all I'm trying to do. After all right. That, well, it, listen, we never skimp on the two hours that they get. Just sometimes we'll give you a little more <laughs> than that. A um, couple pieces of news. Mentioned this earlier, but wanted to reiterate for those who haven't heard. It does sound like, after all, Ben Roethlisberger will be the starting quarterback for the Steelers. There isn't an official deal in place, but Ben Roethlisberger's agent speaking um, uh, on the record about about the fact that this is uh, this is going to be the plan for the team. Aditi Akikan Bowale, whose name I will one day get easily and without stumbling, uh, did report this and and posted that he said, uh, you know, a year ago, Ben wasn't sure if he could throw again, but he battled back to get 12 wins and the eighth division title of his career. They lost steam down the stretch, and that doesn't sit well for him. So the fire burns strong, and there's plenty of gas in the tank. I think probably mixed uh, responses from Steelers fans to this fits. He's done a ton for that team. Um, and even if the cap situation is figured out and significantly lowered, it cannot be in the 40s. It shouldn't even be in the 20s. Um, I still think there are those who think it's time to move on. Well, and the difficulty is going to be, even if they get him for another year, they've got to figure out what the future holds at that position. And this is, the Steelers are stuck in that. You know, they have Dwayne Haskins on a one-year futures contract, basically. They get another year to test out Haskins and see if there's anything there. But the other side of it is the Steelers are in that tricky situation a lot of teams get into where you're going to be picking in the middle of the pack every year in the first round. You're not going to be bad enough to get a top five quarterback, top five pick in the draft likely. So you're going to have to find one in the middle of the first round or in the second or third round that, that uh, makes everything work for you. So I think things are difficult for the Steelers because they've never addressed this and now they have to, and it's going to be difficult unless the wheels fall off. They're not going to have anything that feels like a sure thing. So uh, even a one-year trial on this doesn't really answer the questions that they have long-term. Absolutely. Going to be an interesting one for the Steelers. It's Spain and Fitz. Speaking of uh, what was alluded to in the comments from his agent there, didn't know if he could throw, wasn't sure who he would be. Um, There's some parallels to Alex Smith, who had this remarkable season that was a feel-good story for the NFL and, frankly, something that they needed, and even more so, something the Washington football team needed. This was a team embroiled in scandal before the season began, whether that was the 50-plus women speaking out about the toxic culture of sexual harassment, whether that's the minority owners trying to pressure Snyder into selling, the fact that they got rid of their name and mascot and didn't have a replacement and went by the WFTs, which made it very easy when they were struggling to instead call them the WTFs. They had this beacon of light between Ron Rivera and what ended up being sort of used as a heartwarming story of his cancer treatments, which is uh, tough to reconcile. And then the story of Alex Smith, this, you know, comeback player of the year. And Fitz, I was shocked when you told me that he was speaking out about a team that didn't seem to really want him around until he was their only option. Yeah, an incredibly blunt and forward interview in GQ where he was asked about the team and their response. And he said there was a small group of people that actually thought I could do it. I think the rest of the world either doubted me or they patronized me. And he's talking about people within the building. And he said, uh, the quote, yeah, that's really nice that you're trying. When I decided to come back, I definitely threw a wrench in the team's plan. They didn't Mm. see it, didn't want me there, didn't want me to be a part of it, didn't want me to be on the team, the roster, 
didn't want to give me a chance. So, I mean, he makes it clear as he comes in and says, hey, Washington didn't even want to give it, even to the point that they tried to put him on the physically unable to perform list. They tried to keep him off the field. He had to fight to get on the field and do it. And now he's making it clear he's not sure he really wants to be back with Washington. So a team that made the playoffs but has absolutely no answer at quarterback, and now we find out that even their best feel-good story outside of Ron Rivera last year, the story that sort of got everybody to say, oh, maybe we can root for it. Well, behind the scenes, it wasn't all roses there. It wasn't good at all. Alex Smith doesn't want to be there. They don't have any other options. So I'm stunned to see this level of blunt honesty from a quarterback that I, I would have presumed was going to be back in Washington. I totally agree. And also because this makes it a little bit more awkward around the building, right? And for what ended up feeling like a positive story of him getting the starting job and taking them to the postseason, it feels like he doesn't want to paint it with such, you know, a rosy, he doesn't want to put on the rose colored glasses for it. He wants to be honest and he wants to tell everyone what it really felt like and how it went down. There's a part of me fits that doesn't blame folks for doubting his return. That's why his comeback was as dramatic as it was because we, we just never thought we would see him play again. Um, But I don't know that in that building and if he's on that roster, that should be clear to him, right? That could be, a sub subconscious thing that's being discussed in the back rooms or, or thought, but not something that he should have been able to feel or be expressed directly to him. Well, and now, I mean, I'm keeping an eye for anybody that drafts a quarterback this year at the top of the draft. I'm keeping an eye on Alex Smith and saying, okay, is this a situation because we've seen him do it with Mahomes and he just wants to keep playing. He obviously does a great job showing young quarterbacks how the how they need to prepare in this league, right? I just wonder if Alex Smith is looking around saying, I want to find opportunity where I can keep playing. And that for a team like the Jets, for example, if they do draft a quarterback, if they make change, if you're looking across the board at teams that may draft a young quarterback, I wonder if it doesn't make sense to bring in Alex Smith to help in that entire process and let him keep playing the game. And if I'm Washington, boy, I'm panicking right now to try and get this right. He has two years remaining on his deal. Uh, salary cap charges is non-guaranteed salary plus bonuses of $24.4 million and $26.4 million. If they release him, they save $13.6 million in cap space. If they keep him as a backup, they'd probably do it with a pay reduction to lower his cap charge. So, uh, so many questions about that team and what it's going to look like. Among the many teams that aren't certain yet exactly what their signal caller situation is, which makes for a pretty fun offseason if you like chaos, which I do because my team will benefit from other teams not knowing exactly what they're doing because we sure as hell don't. It's Sarah Spade and Jason Fitz. Now, finally, NBA All-Star Reserves announced. In the West, it's Chris Paul, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Zion Williamson, and Anthony Davis. In the East, James Harden, Julius Randle, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, Ben Simmons, Nikola Vujicic, Vucevic, I always say that. Um, it feels like the big one missing uh, is probably going to be okay because we're going to find out that uh, Anthony Davis certainly won't play. And I don't think he'll be alone, Fitz. I think there might be a handful of players that opt out, even if they have to fake injury. But Devin Booker's going to find his way in there, right? Yeah, you got to feel feel like you know this was a safe thing. You just say, hey, don't worry. We all know AD's not going to play. We'll take care of it, Devin. You'll still get in there. Everything will be happy. I mean, that's the only way I can sort of make it make sense. And I think you're right. I wonder how many people are going to come up with just you know a little bit of a, a back strain or a, just a, a calf strain. Oh, or something my arm. That, I think yeah, it's broke. It's, <laughs> It'll be some little, you know, nagging injury that an MRI can't really pick up that will uh, justify why they can't play. 
A lot more so than previous years, right? Because we know they'll be looking for it and you'll get fined if you don't attend when you've been selected. But some players might decide it's worth it. Hey, look, that's a good way for LeBron to cut back on minutes, right? Not go to the All-Star game. Uh, but yeah, a couple players, Dame, obviously Booker, who have an argument for not only being All-Stars, but starters. So um, it'll all shake out as we get closer to the game. Speaking of shaking out, Freddie and Fitzsimmons following us tonight here on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.